Exodus chapter 19, can I turn you back there? We've entitled the word this morning, Prepare to Meet God. Prepare to meet God. Let's just unite our heart in a short word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence that makes the feast. We bless the Lord and we worship a holy, a thrice holy God. And oh God, we pray that thou would even write that very truth on our heart this morning. Bring us into this passage, Lord. O God, teach us by thy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that thou would give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. Lord, anoint us with fresh oil from above. That we might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you see it? That we're now given the timeline and the journey. We're three months in from the children of Israel left the house of bondage. Moses, we have seen, has been, of course, the deliverer. He's known as the deliverer, the great deliverer, the one whom God called and the one whom was sent forth to liberate his people. But you know, men and women, Moses is also described as the lawgiver. And that's the passage, that's the section of that of the book that we are approaching now. God who had called him at the burning bush promised him in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 that when he had brought forth the people out of Egypt ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And that mountain was Horeb or Mount Sinai and that's the mountain we're at now as you can see in verse 2 because there Israel is spoken to be encamped at the mount. You see not a word of God's promises shall fall to the ground. You remember that. God gives you a promise, he'll keep it. He'll hold it. And you know there's great significance with this place that we're now found to be at. Not only is it where God called Moses, it is also the place where Israel were to be encamped for approximately or very near a year. I want to just show that to you. Numbers chapter 10 verse 11 says this. You don't need to turn to it. It simply says, came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. Very nearly a year they are to spend at this place. It's where the law of God was given, and we'll see that as we go into this next chapter 20. It is also where the details are given concerning the uh, tabernacle, the construction of that. It's also the place where Elijah fled to after uh, the threats of Jezebel. He went and he cast himself even away from the crowds and he was to get to the Mount Horeb and it's where he heard the still small voice of the Lord speak to him and tell him that his ministry wasn't over. He had still a work to do. And you know, we uh, come to this place and we're very conscious, no doubt, even from our Sabbath school days, that chapter 20 is where the law is given. The law was given by God to Moses for the people. It's known as the moral law, or the ten words, or ten commandments. But isn't it interesting that before the law was given, God was to reveal himself to the people in wonders. He had already delivered the nation from Pharaoh and from Egypt via the Red Sea. He had already provided them with the manna and with the water from the rock. And we've, both, we've seen that both of them speak of Christ. Christ. 
And he's given them victory also over the Amalekites. God's grace is shown before the divine law. Before we see what we're bound to do, God shows us a remedy if we don't do it. It's Christ. There are other facets of the law, of course, that are mentioned in the forthcoming chapters, such as the ceremonial law, the civil laws that God gave to Israel. These were given so that Israel would know how to govern their lives as individuals and as a nation among the other nations. But the moral law is the basis of all the statutes that were given. And as we are obligated to keep the moral law of God today, just as much as Israel were to do so in their day. Because while Christ has bought, uh, brought to an end the ceremonial laws that were needed at that time, and they all spoke of him, of course, Yet the commandments were never done away with. The ten words were never done away with in the New Testament. And men and women, we ought to have no other gods before us. We still ought to honor our parents. We still ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. Not to murder, steal, commit adultery, covet, and so on. Those are still as applicable today as they were when Israel received the law. We are not antimoniums. You come across that big word, that's what it simply means. No law. There's people that believe there's no law. And they don't have to keep these things. But God has given us the law. And I want us to see this morning the preparation that was required and needed before Israel where to be given the law of God. That's why I've entitled it, Prepare to Meet God. Won't you see, first of all, the meeting with Moses? There are various occasions in which we've read in this chapter in which Moses ascends the mount. But each time, it is to meet with God. There's good reason for that, as the Lord had a message to convey unto the people. Now, who is it that was to speak unto Moses? You might think that's a very strange question. Well, it's not really, because I'm going to answer it from Acts chapter 7. Acts of the Apostles chapter 7 verse 38. The scriptures are the best commentary on themselves. And it simply says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with her fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Who's he speaking about? Speaking about the Lord. The previous verse, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he. This is, you see, one of the Old Testament appearances of Christ himself as he spoke to Moses on the mount. It's the angel of the everlasting covenant that communed with him. And what he says amounts, first of all, to a remembrance. Look at the words of verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Here's a reminder to the people exactly of what God had done for them. If nothing else, this would show how much they were obligated to obey the Lord of all that the Lord had done for them. He had delivered them from their enemies, the Egyptians. He had borne them along, as it were, on eagles' wings. There's a lovely picture there. You know, when the eagles are in the nest, the wee eaglets, or whatever you, you call the young ones, and they have to leave the nest. What the eagle does, the parent eagle does, he fires them out of the nest. They've got to learn to fly. 
And as they're flooding her about and learning to fly, oh, the mother eagle is underneath. And she's ready to bear them on their wings if they fall. That's the picture. What a lovely picture that is from nature. And God says, I was like, I was like that eagle, bearing you on the eagle's wings. You see, all that the Lord had done for them. And he had brought them unto himself. What's that but redemption? And because God had redeemed Israel, then that meant they were belong, that they belonged to God and they were obligated to him. And you know the same is with God's people to this day. And Paul reminds the people of God in Corinth of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The words of verse 19, you will know them maybe. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to the Lord if we're saved today, if we're redeemed today. These bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Young people, that's why you don't go out and get a tattoo that we see all about these days. You don't mar your body because they're the temples of the Holy Ghost. We need to be careful that we understand this. And God says to Moses as a reminder to the people and that he was to tell the words to the people, I brought you on to myself. I redeemed you. You belong to me. You'll see that this remembrance is even repeated in chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Before he actually gives them the Ten Commandments, he reminds them of what he had done for them and who they were. And you know, is that not the case that oftentimes we need to be reminded of what God has done for us? We tend to forget And we need to be reminded so that we don't grow slack and we don't grow complacent in our walk with God or in our obedience unto the Lord. One of the basic reasons for the table of remembrance, that's what's wrote in the front of it. As God's people in a little moment or two, we will remember again the Savior's death until he come. There's the remembrance here. You'll also see the reward that is spoken of if they obey it. Verse 5, Now therefore if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. The laws were to be given. But they weren't to be thought upon as a curse or, a, or something that was burdensome. And they certainly weren't something that would mean their life would be devoid of any joy or happiness. That's the old lie of the devil. If you get saved, then you'll have to live a life that has no joy or no happiness in it. You'll not be living life to the full. It'll be a life of do's or don'ts. It's not the lies of the devil that we've often heard. You see, he's still about the same tactic to this day. He doesn't want you to see the blessing of obedience. He seeks to veil the rewards that God promises to give. The greatest blessings are when we obey the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. 
and to trust and obey. We don't lose any of the blessings or what is good for us when we obey his word. Remember what John said, that the commandments are not grievous. First John chapter 5 and the words of verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, and they are for our benefit. The Savior said in his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 11, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Again, there's a picture there of the yoke going on the oxen. And the law that God gives is not, it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. It's easy. My burden is light. Israel were to be given the promise that they were to be a peculiar treasure unto God. They were to be a special people above all the people of the earth as those who were set apart. What honor the Lord would place on them if they obeyed. God is sovereign. He says there in that verse that I've read, all the earth is mine, yet they would be his people. He would be their God. He could have chosen any people, but he loved them. They were a treasure. If you have a treasure, maybe some of the ladies have treasure, what do you do? You watch over it. You protect it. You keep it. You cherish it. You maybe put it under lock and key. You value that. And God says to Israel, that's how valuable you are to me. You're like a peculiar treasure. And the people of God are also considered as that peculiar people. Isn't that what Peter brings out? We're a peculiar people. And we are those who make up his jewels. What a description. But this honor from God meant that Israel were to be devoted unto him. They would be likened unto a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They, they, they were to be devoted in their service and honor unto the Lord. The, law, the laws given to them would distinguish them from others. They would sacrifice unto the Lord as priests. And they would be in that close communion with him. And you know that's how the child of God is also reckoned to be. I've already referenced the verse. I'll just turn it. First, uh, First Peter chapter 2. And the words of verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, <clears throat> a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, a peculiar people. Now, there's plenty of peculiarities about each one of us, but it doesn't mean that. It really means a purchased people. That's the sense of it. You're purchased, you're, you're, you're set apart, you're different from the ungodly, a peculiar people. Do you see the response that they gave to these words that Moses conveyed unto them, verse 8? And all the people answered together and said, they're all answering as one man, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. He's faithful in delivering what the Lord has spoken. He lays the words before their face. You see that in verse 7. Before their faces of all these words which the Lord commanded him. It means he brought it, as it were, to their very consciences. 
The words were explained to them. The words were told to them. They were left, as it were, with a choice in what to do with them. And they give the best response that they could give. They pledged obedience to all that the Lord had spoken. Deuteronomy 5 verse 28 actually reveals what the Lord thought of their response. And I simply quote it. They have well said all that they have spoken. That's what God said. That's God's verdict on their response. They spoke as one man, but you know and I know that saying something and doing something are two different things. Yes? People have said to you, I'll do such and such, and they haven't done it. Their behavior as a nation in the following chapters underlines that they didn't keep to their side of the promise. But there are no different to many people today who make pledges and who make promises. They don't carry them through. We see it even in church circles. We see it in congregations. There are those who make a promise to do something. They volunteer to do something. Suddenly they drop off. We see it in marriages. There are those who stand in the front of the church and they make their vows before God and they vow for better, for worse, when they actually mean it's only for better. Because when the worst comes, they're away. We see it in businesses. We see it in commercial life. More men and women, listen, better not to vow than to vow and break it. God requires that which is past. And Israel gave a good response, but they didn't follow through with it. And surely there's a wee lesson for us there. I want you to notice the message to Moses here. Before the people would be given the law, there were certain things that were necessary. The first would be a revelation of the Lord himself. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people, Unto the Lord. The Lord would come down upon the mount. The, the, the people would hear his voice. Although not seeing God, for no man can see God and live. God is a spirit. They would be assured beyond any doubt that God was in their midst. And the reason of this special revelation is also given. That the people might hear when I speak with thee and believe thee. The divine glory would appear, but afterwards there will be no further visible sign of the Lord God as his word will be continued through the ministry of his servant Moses. You know, a similar revelation can be noted in the Savior's earthly ministry. Because when we read about that, point where he was baptized, Matthew chapter 3, we read that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. There was the voice of God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's a great passage for the Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all there. And it is so that they might believe in him. And the same was noted on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were all gathered together and we read that the Spirit descended upon the apostles and rested upon them, sat upon them like cloven tongues of fire so that they might be believed. Special signs. The signs, of course, on that day of Pentecost that the various languages, they understood the preaching of the gospel in their own tongue. Those signs accompanied the preaching of the word. 
that they might believe. Those signs are done away with now. The word has been given in its completeness. Men and women, the voice of the Lord God speaking before the people would add to the authority of what he's saying. The greater the authority of the lawmaker, then the weightier and more important are the statutes and the laws. And because these statutes and laws were from God, they reflected the very best of character. This was God's law. You know, we can compare that to much of what is foisted upon people today by corrupt governments. Bad people bring forth bad laws. But when God gives his law, it's the very best of character, for he is holy. The second thing to say about this message was the requirement to prepare. And that's what the following verses have to do with, from verse 10 right through to verse 15. If I can use the words of Scripture that you read in verse 11 and verse 15, they were to be ready. They were to be ready. They had to prepare to meet their God. The Lord was coming into the camp. If they were ready, they were to be blessed. If they weren't ready, there would be judgment. And there's no different message to God's people today. There still is a need to prepare to meet thy God, as Amos in his little book uh, would exhort. In fact, it is the most important preparation that you'll ever make in lifetime, to prepare to meet God. There are various points in this preparation for Israel. You see verse 10, there was to be a cleansing. Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. They were to come aside from their worldly pursuits in order to worship, in order to receive the law from the mouth of the Lord. And you know there's some great gospel truth even in that. I want you to try and picture the camp here. Moses is preparing them to meet with God on the third day. It was to be a cleansing. Men and women in salvation, we're no longer clothed with the filthy garments or rags of our own righteousness, but we're clothed with Christ's spotless garment. We must be clothed in such a forever going to meet with God. That doesn't mean a mere physical washing. Although it would be very helpful for the one sitting beside you in the pew if you take a wash before you come out to church, of course. But it's to do with a spiritual washing, a spiritual cleansing, whereby Christ closes with the garments of salvation. I wonder, have you received those garments? If you haven't the garments of Christ on you today, you're not ready to meet God. Then also, when we have this great salvation, God exchanges our filthy rags for his spotless robe. We're able to approach unto God. We're able to have fellowship with the Lord. God will only draw near unto a people that are clean. It's obviously the clear message from this word to Moses here. And you know that is... Why sin mars our fellowship with God. That is why sin is a barrier to his blessing. God can't meet with that which is iniquitous. 
wonder how is your fellowship this morning with the Lord? First John 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's how we can approach unto the Holy God. Because we're clothed in Christ. Because we've uh, known that cleansing in the precious blood. We have that access to the Father through Jesus Christ the righteous. You see here also for Israel there were to be the confines. They couldn't do what they liked. They couldn't go where they liked. There had to be the confines in place. Look at the verse, verse 12. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. Verse 15. Come not at your wives. It spoke surely of the awful reverence that their minds should have possessed at the thought of worshipping and approaching a holy God. This is the creature coming before the great creator. This is sinful man before a righteous, all-holy judge. And they weren't to touch the mount. In fact, the closing verses of this chapter, the Lord emphasizes it again for Moses to go down and make sure you tell the people. He's a holy God. And they were sinful. And dear people, is it any different today in our worship and when we come to God's house? When you think about that. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says this. Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Reverence. And godly fear. Is that how we approach the worship? Is that how we prepare ourselves? Coming to the house of God. Some sort of boundary was put in place around the foot of the, of the, the mount here. Verse 23 emphasizes that. Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. The confines were physically in place. Lest today would approach the mount and perish. But it underlines to us, does it not, the distance that there was in those times between the worshiper and the Lord God. And all the more we take note of that so that we might value our privilege today of being able to draw an eye unto God and having boldness. To enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We who sometime were afar off have been made nigh. There's no barrier now. There's no veil. Veil has been rent from top to bottom. And you know there was to be, you'll notice also the congregating. Look at verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the neither part of the mount. So the camp was there. But that's not where they met with God. Moses brought them out of the camp to the foot of the Mount Sinai. When God came down to that mount, the people needed to be congregated in order to see this revelation and to hear the Lord's voice. That's why Moses led them out to the base of the the mount. If they hadn't have congregated, then they would have missed out. 
The same way, the same way that many believers have chosen to do today in an age where church, they think, can come to the sofa. What can never be conveyed to the sofa is the fellowship. I've spoken of this before, I know. We have lost people today. They're not in the house of God. They think that they can go to church just in the house and watch the television screen. Men and women, I put it to you. If you speak with those for whom it isn't possible to attend a gospel preaching church, and we have friends in England, you know uh, that they listen into our meetings every week. I've been in contact with them. They're coming over actually in a few weeks' time. They're looking forward uh, to it. But you speak to them, they will tell you they miss the fellowship. The little phone is just a substitute. It's not the real thing. You see, God meets when his people congregate. And yes, God meets with us in a personal capacity. I know that. And I trust that as the people of God that you're in the closet, you're in that secret place with the Lord every day. He meets with us in our homes on that basis. But private meetings do not cancel out the public meetings of the church body. Having a word of prayer with all due respect, having a word of prayer on a Thursday night does not be the same as congregating with God's people on a Thursday night for prayer. You know, the same lesson was learned by Thomas because Thomas missed out in congregating with the other disciples on that night of the resurrection. And isn't it interesting that God, the Holy Spirit, puts it into the eternal word forever? John 20, verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. We read in in a previous verses just before that, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. But Thomas missed out. Seat was empty for whatever reason. And that's why we emphasize this to you in a day of technology and all of the rest of it. There's nothing beats coming together with the people of God and congregating as the Lord has commanded us. Not the preacher, not a denomination, it's the Lord has commanded us. And God was gracious unto even Thomas. The other disciples there were said unto him, verse 25, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What a week he had! A week of doubts, a week of unbelief, when the rest of the disciples, they had seen the Lord. And they were rejoicing. The resurrected Saviour. And that's why we come to the house of God. You don't come to meet with me. You come to meet with God. And to hear his voice. The Lord said, Where the two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Listen, the Lord's here first of all. He's first in. 
He's already here when you come through the doors. That's His promise. Make sure that you are among those who congregate. For Israel, there had to be the cleansing. For Israel, there had to be the coming together. There had to be the congregating. And there had to be the confines. They couldn't do what they liked. Nor go where they liked. As parameters. Want you notice the memorable day for Moses. The third day appointed by God came. The people were assembled. Mount Sinai had a thick cloud upon it. If there were, there were the thunderings and the lightnings and the exceedingly loud trumpet, the preacher that day was God himself. With the mount altogether as smoke as the Lord descended in fire, Moses was called up to meet him in the words of verse 20. Is it any wonder that we read there was a trembling? We read there in the end of verse 16 that there was a trembling. The people that was in the camp trembled. Maybe the sound of the trumpet went for them. Maybe it was the sound of an alarm for war and they knew their own guilt. And if this display of God's power in the mount did not move them, then you would fear nothing would move them. Yet how many evidences of God's power are seen in this world and people remain unmoved. And they don't fear the Lord. I don't fear God in Ulster today. But the one thing is sure, if they won't tremble before God in this life, then they certainly will tremble before Him for all eternity. There was a revering of God here. Verse 18, look at it. Mount Sinai was altogether in a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended the, uh, as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quite greatly. It shows that they revered the Lord God. It demonstrates that they were conscious of their own sinfulness. Maybe something like Peter, you remember in the boat. And he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He believed that he was unworthy of the Savior's fellowship because he had so disbelieved the Lord when the Lord gave the commandment, let down the nets. They said, Lord, we've, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. But at thy command, we'll let down the net. And the nets were bursting. Depart from me, he said. For I am a sinful man. You see, you must ask yourself, have I a correct reverence of Almighty God? For that will manifest itself not only in how you live Monday right through to Saturday, but it'll also dictate how you worship in the house of God. How you prepare yourself to worship. We're in the presence of the Lord, men and women. Young people, remember that. I dare say if the king was here, there wouldn't be much going out of the church at all, would there? Or the building where you are in. And I know there's times we have to do that. But listen, we're not before a king, we're before the king of kings. We're in the presence of God. There's also the supplicating. Verse 19 of chapter 20, if you just turn over 
And, and, and with this I close. They said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. They needed a mediator, you see. They'd got an awesome view of the holiness of God and it convicted them of their sin. It emphasized the need for one to stand in between and to plead their cause. And so it is in the gospel. When the law is preached, it convicts men and women. It shows them their sin and unworthiness. But you know, it also points to Christ. He's the law master. The law is our master to bring us unto Christ. Because he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. And as Moses drew nigh unto God to mediate for them, so Christ draws nigh to God for us. For there's one mediator between God and man. It's not Mary. It's not any of the, the saints. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The man Christ Jesus. And he's the only mediator because at Calvary he stood into our guilty room instead. He became the sinner's substitute to bear away our sin in his own body on that tree. You leave out Calvary and what Christ endured there and the sinner is no way to God. You leave out Calvary and there's no good news for the sinful guilty soul. For a holy God... And if you take nothing else away from this message this morning as you leave the house of God, remember chapter 19, Exodus 19, is all about a holy God. And that's why there have to be a preparation to meet that holy God. A holy God must judge sin. It will either be judged in Christ, God's only begotten Son, who suffered, bled, and died at Calvary, or it will be judged in the guilty sinner for all eternity. But having finished the work, having satisfied God's justice and rose again, he continues to intercede in heaven for his people today. I wonder, do you know him? Have you got this great high priest as your Savior? Seated at God's right hand for the third day. Isn't that significant? The Lord said to Moses, on the third day I'm coming down. Well, the third day in the New Testament is the day of resurrection. And the Lord's alive today. And upon the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath, is when we remember we serve a risen Savior. If you don't have him as Savior, I tell you, this could be a memorable day for your life. This certainly was a memorable day in the life of Moses. But this will be a memorable day in your life. For God will meet you and save you. I pray that he will. I pray the Lord will bless his word even to our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake. Number 335 335, please. Let's just sing in closing. Jesus, keep me near the cross there, a precious fountain free to all a healing stream, please, flows from Calvary's mountain. Let's sing verses 1 and 4. 1 and 4, standing to sing 335.
Father, we thank Thee for Thy word to our heart this morning. We bless Thee, Lord, that Thou art a holy God. And, O Father, we see the preparation that needed to be made with Israel, even to meet with Thee at the foot of the mount. And, Lord, how there was the parameters and how there was the cleansing to be needed and the congregating. Lord, we rejoice today. No more veil God bids us enter by that new and living way. Thank the Lord we can come right into thy presence. Thank the Lord you have promised to be where thy people are, where the two or three are gathered. Lord, what a, what a privileged people we are to, to meet in the presence of God in thy house. Lord, we pray that we might cherish it. We might prepare our hearts for it. Thou might speak on to us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name thou would make this a memorable day for some soul. Save, Lord, I ask of thee. Restore. O God, do, Lord, uh, these things for Jesus' sake. Bless those that will part now for a little season. Go before them. Remember those of us that remain. Lord, give us a special time around the means of grace. Do our souls good. We pray these things in our Saviour's name. Amen.